It's the Asian Boxing Podcast with Scott and Colin. Asianboxing.info is the website. Scott, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing rather well. And yourself? I'm doing well. I can't complain. It's raining right now. It feels like Christmas over here in California. And I know for you, it's getting a little nippy too. Yeah, it's freezing and there's rain and there's wind and it's freezing. Okay, well, I can't say the same for over here. But let's get to boxing before we get to all the Christmas type fights because December is a gift that is waiting to be opened. We're going to see a a good amount of fights at least coming up. I know there are some cancellations that we'll talk about as well. But let's go all the way back to a couple days after Thanksgiving. We're on the undercard of, of a very, very good fight title fight between Lopez and Cambosos, which was a huge upset. We saw Kenichi Ogawa all the way from Japan challenge for a title, a vacant IBF title, World Super Featherweight title. He went up against Azinga Fuzili. What happened in this, Scott? Ogawa put in the performance of his career. Um, I was expecting Fuzili to actually be too slippery and too good, but no, Ogawa put in a genuine sensational performance. They both sort of took a couple of rounds to figure each other out, but then Ogawa's right hand, his crushed right, got involved. He put Fuzila down hard in round five. I'm not sure how Fuzila got up from that, but then he dropped him again twice more in round uh, round 12 in the final, final couple of minutes. And yeah, Ogawa really put together an incredibly good performance, and it's one that showed what he can do. Um, I think most fans really only knew for the Tim Farm about and the fastical judging and the post-fight drug test for that one, but this was an eye an eye-opening performance from Ogawa, who for the first time genuinely looked world class. You mentioned that Tevin Farmer about, of course, the the drug uh, test being positive. Do you think Japanese fans have forgiven him for testing positive for a steroid? I don't think the fans ever really thought he he did something on purpose. Um, from what I understand, him and Taken both put it down to a skin cream for eczema, uh, which was tainted or something. The fans were behind him when he returned to uh, the ring a couple of years ago. They seem to be very supportive of him here. So, yeah, I, I don't think the fans have any real issue with the anomaly of a test. I'm happy for him. It, it shows a lot of perseverance because i don't know something like that can really push you back and especially in japan when they're so strict with drug testing even if it was your eczema cream uh of course they had that temporary ban on on him fighting in japan but now he comes over to the united states huge massive card and he puts in a performance like this you mentioned just that right hand found the target of fuzili and he wins his first official uh, world title. So really happy for Ogawa. Now signs with Matchroom, and it looks like he has a, a pretty bright future. He can pick and choose who he wants to fight in the future. Yeah, so Taiken have announced that his next fight will be in spring, uh, probably in March in Japan, before a scheduled bout in the summer in the UK, which will be a Matchroom show. Probably against Joe Cardina and imagine Alzelfa Barrett. So yeah, his future looks really bright for next year. So let's jump ahead now and Kito Obara at Crockin Hall. He fought for 
the Japanese welterweight title, defending his Japanese welterweight title against Masaya Tamayama. Yeah, so Abara, who's well known sort of in regards to Japanese welterweights, he um, has fought in the US a couple of times, he's fought for a world title. And today he, he showed that he was way above Japanese level. He put Tamiyama down in the first round, stopped him in round five, I believe. And unfortunately for him, there's only perhaps two guys in Japan that are even worth thinking about. And he's beaten one of them uh, in Shoki Sakai. I don't think he's going to fight again in Japan, if I'm being honest. I think he and his team want to go for another world title fight. Well, let's see if they can get that chance again. And he showed his levels above Tamiyama here. I like Obara. I mean, he's probably not quite at that world-level skill. But I do think that he can compete, at least at the world level, and be a decent challenger for anyone who is going after a title, defending a title. He, he's tough enough to at least be a challenger, gatekeeper type of fighter here in the United States. Yeah, so I'm like, Gidges Kavlauskas would be a, perhaps a type of guy you'd be looking at, Obara. So like those top 15 type guys that I think, give him a chance, he'd have half a shot at them, but be a big underdog against them at the same time. The Asian Boxing Podcast, Scott and Colin. Okay, Scott, this Saturday... Seems like Christmas is, has come early because we have a slew of fights, title fights, on one night, and a couple of Asian boxers are fighting on Saturday for titles. We have so many fights on Saturday. It's, yeah, like Christmas. Um, I think there's five world title fights featuring an Asian fighter. Then you've also got fighters like Donnie Nietes in a fight. You've got Shoshida versus Kosai Tanaka as well getting overlooked. There's just so much action. Um, maybe we start with the uh, Dmitry Bivol in Russia. He's defending his title. I think that's probably the most overlooked bout of the weekend against Umar Salomov. I love Bivol. I just hope and pray that he makes a unification bout sometime against Better Beatov. I really want to see that. I think their two styles match up really well. I want to see Bivol fight as if he wants to impress. I always think he, I think he's too good for his own good and he doesn't want to show what he can really do. I think he fights well within himself, and it's really frustrating to watch him. Yeah, because he's skilled, and when he does show his skills, you can tell he's kind of levels above his opposition. But because, you're right, he doesn't really put his, his foot to the pedal, you can tell that, yeah, there are times where he's maybe coasting to a victory. He can do that because sometimes his opposition isn't to the level where it should be. Or if he was fighting and trying to unify, I think you would get better fights out of him. And actually, you would see more of his skill. Especially if, like you said, the Berterbiev fight, I think there'd be the danger there. You can't coast against a guy like Berterbiev because he's going to smash your face in. Oh, he will. He will. And But I still think that's a good fight because Berterbiev... Uh, while he is, I, I call him a bear, like he's just an absolute monster who hits hard with both hands. He's there to be hit too, and I think Bevel has the skills to beat him. Now the question is, can he take a punch? There, there's a couple questions that would be raised for a guy like Bevel, and maybe uh, Salomov will raise those on Saturday. Early in the morning for us over here. I haven't watched Salomov. I don't think he's got the polish that he needs, but it's a good fight. It's at least a battle that looks fantastic on paper. I don't think it's going to be as 
competitive it maybe looks. The two, I call them the other two kings of the Bantamweight division. Right now there's three kings, and they're all trying to fight for that unified title. And Noe, he's fighting on Tuesday. But Casimero and Donaire are both fighting on Saturday. Do you think there's any possibility of slip-ups uh, for Donaire or Casimero? I think Casimero will beat Butler very easily. I think that's a horrible mismatch. I'm not really sure what the WBO were doing, um, making Butler into the manager challenger. It's Casimero is on that level, like you said, he's a king there, and Butler doesn't even belong in the castle. As for Donaire, at the age of 38, 39, he's ancient for bantamweight. Father time will get its way with him sooner or later. But he looked so good last time against Gabali. He looked destructive. And Gabalo's there to be hit. Gabalo is exposed to himself, but he can be hit hard. And I think Dunner probably perhaps gets wobbled, but I think he probably does see off um, Gabalo to defend the Dewey BC bantamweight title. I, I just think that ever since Donair moved back down to 118, he's really acclimated himself well, well there. I know we saw him fight um, against Frampton and kind of thought, okay, that might be that might be it after uh, his loss at featherweight. But ever since he moved back down, he's looked incredibly sharp. Uh, of course, the Inoue fight, he looked great. And then and you mentioned Obali, where he dominated. I still think he has a little bit in the in the gas tank left. Uh, to where he is a huge contender at Bantamweight. Because of his size um, and because of his experience, I don't know. It'd be super say he's in his prime, but I think he's a lot smarter now than he's ever been in the past. And he's fighting to use his size more. Um, and because he's such a big Bantamweight, he's going to be awkward for anyone. It's the experience, Scott. Earlier in his career, knockout guy, fast. Um, incredibly skilled. But sometimes... I, I just remember that uh, fight against Rigandau, he was hunting for one, you know, knockout punch a little too much. He doesn't do that anymore. He he relies on his size, and he knows that he hits hard without having to load up. Yeah, I am um, the experience, and he's adapted really well as well. I, we saw the same with Floyd Mayweather and Ben Hopkins adapting to old edge. I think Dene's sort of on that level mentally where he's realized he's not the fighter he was, but he can still be a very, very good fighter just by changing things. He's aging like fine wine, Donaire is. And uh, hopefully Donaire and Casimero both come out with victories. Hopefully Inoue on Tuesday comes out with a victory. And then next year we could get this all sorted out and have one undisputed champion at the end of the year. I, to me, it has to happen next year. Yeah, I think if it doesn't happen, Donnell edge himself out and, you know, set off the division and me looking for a challenge, looking for people wanting to get in the ring with him, like these two are perhaps not in a rush to do. Maybe go up to 122. There's some contenders up there that Inoue can possibly get in the ring with. But I still have hope. I still have hope that uh, we could see either Donaire Inoue 2 or, or Casimero Inoue, which was supposed to happen before the pandemic came down. Uh, you mentioned Kosei Tanaka, who was recently seen sparring Naoya Inoue. He looks sharp as usual, and he is back in the ring after his loss to Kazuto Ioka, maybe getting a little bit more comfortable at 115. Yeah, he's getting comfortable at 115 against a former world title challenger in Shoishida, a guy who's huge at the weight, um, awkward at the weight. It's... 
a fight that both guys will go into knowing they need to win. Ishida had big hopes himself, but a loss to um, Kao Yufai kind of dented those hopes, and he's then lost in a world title eliminator since then. As for Tanaka, how does that loss affect him? Um, has he still got that same confidence, that same air that I'm really freaking good that he had before facing um, Ayoka? Really interesting matchup. I think Tanaka will be the favorite, but it's not a gimme. Tanaka doesn't take easy fights at all. And, and his first fight up at 115 against a world champ like Ioka, he got taught a lesson. But I think Tanaka is that much of a champ to where he'll figure things out and he's going to become a contender at 115. Yeah, he already is a contender at 115. Um, I think perhaps he should have had someone like Ishida against him before he faced Ioka just to get used to the way, get used to how his body fell away, but it's a loss. He marks back from that. Um, fighters lose. Great fighters bounce back. All right, let's keep on going down the list on Saturday. In terms of world title fights, let's jump over to the, the ladies' side where one of my favorite women boxers, Katie Taylor, just so fun to watch. She's not Asian, but she is fighting a woman from Kazakhstan, Sharapova. Feruza Sharapova. The woman the Kazakh media love. Um, yeah, let's be honest. This is a completely not a mismatch. This is one of the worst matchups of the weekend. And Kate Taylor is one of the greatest female boxers of all time. Possibly the greatest. Sharipova. Uh, um, she's a media darling in Kazakhstan. Who uh, They just like to run stories over absolutely nothing. Uh, not too long ago, they were taking bets on her fighting... Vladimir Putin or Khabib, um, the UFC, former UFC guy, yeah. are posing naked in Playboy rather than winning a world title. So that's the sort of, sort of all that Sharapov is at. She is not of the ilk of Katie Taylor, who's a lot sharper, a lot meaner, um, and just, just like you said, one of the best female boxers of all time. And probably right now, She's the best of the best. Um, I think Clarissa Shields is really good, uh, but Katie Taylor is a force to be reckoned with. I think Shields is incredibly unfortunate that there's no women her size that are genuinely good fighters. There's just not the depth there. Like there is at one thirty and one thirty-five. I think Savannah was it Savannah Marshall. Yeah, she's the one exception. I think. Yeah, I think she definitely could be someone who can challenge. Clarissa Shields. She she's an excellent fighter as well. I don't know women's boxing like you do, Scott. You're a little bit more in tune with it, but very impressive. I'm very impressed every time you see uh, a lady getting there and like Katie Taylor, like Clarissa Shields. What they're able to do is pretty pretty spectacular. Yeah, just away from Asian boxing, it's fantastic to see the women fighters getting a chance the last couple of years. Um, Avisha Bumgarner is another really good one that we've seen recently, and. Um, yeah, it's just been fantastic to see women's boxing get some recognition at last. It is the Asian Boxing Podcast with Scott and Colin, AsianBoxing.info. Uh, so yeah, there's just a ton of fights going on on Saturday. Uh, we didn't even mention, you know, Donnie Nietes and uh, Tomoki Kameda both also fighting. Uh, Nietes in Dubai, Kameda in Mexico. Um, so those guys getting back in the ring as well. It's just... Saturday is the biggest night of boxing um, of the year. This entire year, I know it's been a kind of up and down year. We've 
complained a little, but every time I think I'm complaining about boxing not being good enough, you get a day like this and it draws you back into the sport. Um, Non-Asian boxing card, they're going to have Lomachenko and Comey. That's another decent fight as well on Saturday. So everyone is getting in the ring on the 11th. And we still not mentioned uh, Jess and Mama getting a shot at long last. Kamshbek Kunkabayev also getting a step up. It's just one of those crazy, crazy days that if you were to cover everything, it, you'd be here all day. Uh, Shojan Ergashev back in the ring. One of those days I think we all wait for and they come around and kind of, yeah, can we have them every week, please? Sit back, relax, make some eggnog, have some chocolate. Like Scott, you know, of course, every Christmas, Scott loves chocolate. Uh, some popcorn, whatever you like, whatever snacks you like on Saturday, sit back, relax, hot chocolate, ooh, I could go for some hot chocolate right now, and watch some boxing on Saturday. I'll just mention one more about this on Saturday, and that's uh, Marlon Tapaz versus Hiroaki Tetiguara um, in a IBF Super Bantamweight World Title Eliminator. Um, it was the first time that most fans have seen Tetiguara, but he is a joy to watch. This one... Could we just sleep a classic of the weekend? It's a really, really interesting matchup on the Dene versus Gabalo card. It will not end on Saturday. It's just going to keep coming. Keep, keep coming. It is the Asian Boxing Podcast. Scott and Colin, AsianBoxing.info. Well, after you've had your fill on Saturday, just take a couple days to rest. And then on Tuesday, a, a big card for the fact that one of the pound-for-pound stars in all of boxing, the beloved son of Japan, Naoya Inoue, is back in the ring. And we know it's against someone who is not in his class, but it'll just be good to see Inoue get another fight in this year. We mentioned earlier uh, George Camboso being Teofimo Lopez. Maybe, whilst Aaron Dapien isn't in Inoue's class, it's one that Inoue can't overlook um we saw lopez overlook camboso and it's bit him in the backside inu has to make sure he doesn't make the same mistake here against aaron dipayen and what will be inu's first bout in japan in more than two years um yeah it should be should be a walk in the park for anywhere dipayen can punch hard but he's very rigid he's um a former muay thai guy who's got that sort of high guard flat foot style and I think Inoue should rip him apart with body shots. But he really cannot overlook the guy. You you always have to be wary of punchers. They have the old adage, puncher's chance. And that's what Depayan has is, hey, he lands a big right. You never know. That could change the the makeup of the fight. And Inoue has to go in there thinking, hey, if I want to be undisputed at Bantamweight, I need to dispatch of this guy in the best way possible. I don't need to play around with my food. Get him out of here in a couple of rounds. That's what has to be on Inoue's mind. I think that's what he wants to do. And, and you mentioned two years since his last fight in Japan, which one of my favorite fights ever, um, the drama in Saitama, against Nonito Donaire, back and forth war. So it's going to be great to see Inoue back in Japan. It's a it's a homecoming fight. Hopefully he gets rid of Depayan and then moves on to bigger and better things next year. Yeah, and the funny thing is that's one of five notable bouts on Tuesday. I'm not sure what's gone on for Tuesday, but what a hectic day because uh, on the same card we see Masataka Taniguchi challenge Wilfredo Mendez. Um, for the WBO middleweight title, 
Taniguchi's second shot at world title, Mendez's uh, third defense, I believe, since winning the title back in 2019. That one could also be a really, really good fight. Yeah, what is is Tuesday something special for for Japanese people? Uh, it's because they're they're giving us some good fights. I love Taniguchi. Uh, he's he's gotten close, right? He had that fight against Saludar, um, where I mean he he was beaten pretty handily by Saludar, but still showed that he belongs at the world title level. Of course, he's won a couple of Japanese minimum weight titles. You know, he he deserves to be there. But Menendez is—he's a tough cat. Yeah, he's an awkward, slippery, quick guy. Couple wings over Axel Vega. Uh, He—he'll be there to retain his title. But really nice matchup. Now this is on pay per view, right, Scott? And is this one of the first times that they're doing pay per view in Japan? It is on pay per view. It's not one of the first times, but it's the first like really, really big bout on Japanese pay per view. Um, a number of small promoters have used pay-per-view in the past, but this is the first time that you've seen a major star on Japanese pay-per-view. Do you see this being a, a new trend? Are they moving towards pay-per-view, or is this just a one-off? You know, we want to get our our star in no way on pay-per-view, and then and then kind of everything moves back to regular TV. I'm not sure. It certainly seems like this year we've seen a move away from regular TV. Um, we've seen Amazon Prime getting involved. We've seen DAZN trying more. Um, we've not seen TBS or Fuji do a great deal this year. We've seen TV Tokyo completely walk away from the spot. I'm worried for Japanese boxing if this is the start of a trend because I don't think pay-per-view boxing is the way forward for a, a country like Japan. It doesn't seem like it's right. And even here in the United States, where boxing at one time was king, pay-per-view hurt the sport. Really, it did. Because, you know, now you have fights that aren't available to the general population. You have to, you have to, you know, obviously pay money for, for each different fight. And that uh, excludes some members of society you know, before you could watch everything on on the big channels, NBC, ABC, you know, whatever, whatever uh, channel you had at home on the tube, you could watch Ali and, uh, you know, all the big fighters here. And then that kind of went away. So I don't know. I, I, I agree with you, Scott, that if Japan does move towards that, it, it might kill the sport even more. Thankfully, not all countries going that way. Um, and on Tuesday, there's also actually a world title fight in Thailand, which will be on free TV, and that will be knockout CP Freshman. So at least Thailand's fighting a good fight. On Friday, Scott, in Uzbekistan, we're going all over the map America, Japan, and now Uzbekistan. The super, super fighter, great amateur background, Israel Madramov. He is back in the ring. 7 uh, 0 oh so far. In his career, yeah, I was I was really hyped when I first saw him uh, later in his amateur career and early in his professional career. I think, unfortunately, he's too good for himself at times. He knows how good he is, and I think he he perhaps thinks he's better than he is sometimes. I think we saw that against Eric Walker, where he just couldn't get going. Um, here, he needs to be on top form because facing Michelle Sorrell, who's Sorrow is really, really, really good. A genuine world-class fighter um, in one of the most stacked divisions in the sport. So this is a real good test for Madrimov. 
Yeah, you would like to see Madrimov eventually make that next jump. I don't think he's done that yet. And you really now expect all these guys who are highly touted amateurs to do that, right? To be um, fast-tracked to, like, world title level. Because we've seen it now for a bunch of different, you know, these these Uzbekistans, Kazakhstans. We saw it with Lomachenko, you know, the... The Ukrainians, uh, Usyk and, and Lomachenko. So it's it's doable. The question is, when will it happen for Madrimov? Yeah, we saw uh, Madrimov Madalia being another great example of it as well. Um, this is meant to be a world title eliminated with Soros. So hopefully gets past this, then fights for a world title next year. Um, the division's so stacked. It is one of the toughest divisions in the sports. I'm not sure he's ready. But at the same time, I'm not sure... He's going to develop fighting anything outside the top sort of 10 guys. So it's a, a poor position to be in for him, unfortunately. Sometimes it's just sink or swim. And I think for a guy like Majumov, throw him in and see what happens. Scott, we've covered all that will be going on, most of everything that will be going on these next couple of days. And it's very exciting. I'm very happy that boxing is at this point now at the end of the year where they make the fights. All these big fights are, are going on. But now we have some some sad news to bring you um, with cancellations kind of left and right because of Japan's new outlaw on anyone out of the country coming in. There's some big fights that have been canceled. There is. There's actually quite a lot of fights that have been canceled and some not even featuring their international fighter, unfortunately. The two obvious ones are Golovkin versus Murata, um, which has been off because Golovkin is an auto enter Japan, like you mentioned. And Ayoka versus Ankahas, which has been because Ankahas can't enter Japan. Uh, they're two unification bouts. They're two fantastic matchups. And hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll see both happen next year. Um, but unfortunately, with those bouts being off, it's also caused other casualties like Junto Nakatani's next bout being cancelled. And I believe uh, Hironori Mishiro uh, versus... Ito? Yeah, uh, which is a brilliant matchup. And that's an all-Japanese belt being cancelled due to people not being able to get in and out of the country. Yeah, which it's like, maybe instead of just cancelling it all, have the Japanese fighters fight, right? I mean, they're there. They're uh, To me, I, I understand it, right? I, I get why you close off the country that makes sense but i also think that there is some common sense that you could use one it's not having to cancel all the japanese fighters that makes no sense to me but two how about because you have this scheduled already you just give a little exception just a little little leeway to a guy like golovkin or on kahas and you bring him in you get their whole team covid tested they're good everyone's negative you bring them into the country, they fight, and they go back to their respective places. That, that to me, would not be a, a bad compromise to at least make these fights happen. Because I, I, it's just so disappointing to see them both be canceled. Yeah, quarantine them for maybe 14 days if you want to do something like that. But uh, hugely disappointing, hugely frustrating, especially given that the year's not been a good one for Japanese boxing. Um Boxing in general, really, it's it's been a down year. It's been a weird year. We've had some fantastic fights. We've had some absolutely amazing upsets, but it's been quite stop-start, quite frustrating. And even when we look at the highlights, I don't think there's been enough of them, unfortunately. So yeah, it's not been a not been a great year. 
and I, and I get it. You know, we're still in the midst of this this pandemic, and new variants are coming out. But I do think that the world is, you know, we're we're starting to get a lot better, and and that's a good thing. Uh, hopefully, next year will be a great year for boxing. Although, again, every time I complain and pout and say, "Oh, boxing's the worst," it gives us a weekend like Saturday where. You can't complain because there's just so many good fights to watch. And we've, like you mentioned, we've had good battles over the course of this year and some nice upsets. So anytime you want to complain, there always is a bright side to look at. Yeah, and even looking at next year, there's still things on the schedule now that are worth getting excited about. Like we mentioned, Kenichi Ogawa um, fighting in spring. Um, Masamichi Yabuki versus Kenshiro 2 is set for early next year um, with them talking about spring debt. So there's, there's exciting things coming on the radar. In no way Casimero in spring, maybe? Please? If not, let's hope that Casimero loses just because of the the absolute travesty that he's had over the last 12 months of uh, turtle and squirtle call-outs. It's just, yeah, you're going to call a guy squirtle. He's getting the ring with him. Oh, please. Please make it happen. Please. Out of, out of all the fights I want to see, I want to see a Noe Casimero the most. Well, Scott, we do have some canceled bouts, but again, this weekend, if you are a fan out there and you're a little disappointed about not seeing Triple G and not seeing Murata, not seeing Ankahas Ioka, just sit back and relax on Saturday and enjoy everything that will be coming your way well want to thank you again so much for making us a part of your day wherever you may be listening it is the asian boxing podcast it's asianboxing.info that's the website and if you love boxing especially asian boxing that's where you want to go scott does a great job with everything on that website but until then have a great rest of your day enjoy some hot cocoa on Scott and I, and we will talk to you next time. Have a great rest of your day.